0: Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zeraris, and we are here to recap the first five games of the NFL's Super Wild Card Weekend. Of course, this is the Monday episode. Monday night's Cardinals-Rams game will be talked about on tomorrow, Tuesday's episode, but today's show will unpack the five games from the course of the weekend I'm starting this recording in the third quarter of the Chiefs and Steelers game because the final score is to be determined, but this is not exactly what I would call a competitive game, and I feel reasonably okay with starting recording the show at this point in the game because if Pittsburgh manages to come back from a 35-14 deficit, I'll get to that by the end of this episode. But we'll unpack some of the underlying themes. We'll go game by game, talk a little bit about the debacles in Cincinnati and Dallas, the boat races in Kansas City and in Tampa. We'll look a little bit ahead to Monday night's game. I already talked about it on Friday's episode where we did the NFC preview show, but we'll talk a little bit more about it now that we've seen a little bit of what the playoffs have looked like so far. This is a fun episode. Wild Card Round is fun from a big picture perspective. The football isn't always tremendous, and this was not a good weekend of football, regardless of what game you watched. The only competitive games were... Raiders, Bengals, and Cowboys, 49ers and that was because not and none of those four teams played with any real vested interest in winning. The players on the field, the coaches, they were all desperate to give the game away to the other team. But in spite of it, no matter how hard they tried, the other team just wouldn't take it. It was very much the sponge. It was very much the spongebob episode in the Mermelair where they would not, where Man Ray would not. Be able to give the wallet to patrick and it's fitting i make that reference on an episode about a game that was on nickelodeon the cowboy 49er game was on nickelodeon and they compared the cowboy 49er rivalry to uh plankton and mr krabs's rivalry, which was very on the nose some uh, some over the hill franchises that haven't had glory years in quite a while but they do have some good stats back when you turn pages in the history book but before we get to today's show, got to remind everyone to help support the content here. Subscribe to the show, whatever platform you enjoy, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitch, or Google Play. We're available on all the major podcasting platforms. Leave a review if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave them reviews. It's free. It takes less than a minute. It's a really easy way to support your content creators, and it means the world to people like me who are grinding it out here to make content on a daily basis. Reviews are our life's blood. The more reviews we get, the better our shows do. The easier it is for people to find our shows. The easier it is for us to find sponsors or to use our platforms to get full time employment. I will see you guys on the other side of this drop, and we'll talk about Wildcard Weekend. <laughs> We will get on into it. We will be recapping these games in chronological order. So we will start with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Las Vegas Raiders. The Bengals winning 26 to 19. I incorrectly predicted that game. I had the Raiders plus what was it, five and a half or six and a half? Hang on, hang on. Bad radio. Five and a half. Bengals won by seven ugly football game on both sides very much a case of neither of these teams really befitting of the moment uh i talked about it on thursday the afc preview episode this is the bullshit game where both of these teams are full of shit and neither of them really should have been here but when they went head to head the team with more talent survived the bullshit contest is the way i would describe it the bengals came out They were aggressive to start the game. They played really well in the first half, and as the second half went along, they really started to show their Bengalness. and Zach Taylor did Zach Taylor things. The Raiders were able to hang around in that game. That was one of the few games where I was aggressively taking notes during the course of the game to get an idea of the flows of the offense and what it was going to look like. And I'll be honest with you. For excited as i was to see the bengals in a playoff game i was not particularly impressed with what i saw from the bengals i mean once they got out to a relatively comfortable lead they really stopped being aggressive on offense until they absolutely needed points later in the game and even then they were settling for mcpherson field goals and i understand They drafted that guy out of Florida pretty highly, and that was going to be a focal point of their team this year. But next round, that shit's not going to fly settling for field goals against a Kansas City or against a Tennessee, depending on who you play. I mean, I should be probably assuming Tennessee based on the fact that the... I I can assume the Steelers are not coming back from this 21-point deficit in one quarter, which is how much time is left in that game as I'm looking over at the screen while I'm recording here. But that's the thing. I, I talked about it a little bit on Thursday and Friday show. You see the coaches and the players who haven't been in the playoffs before and how they handle this kind of environment. And this was a case of the Bengals getting too cute. One example that stands out in my mind they motioned Jamar Chase into the backfield in an empty set, they gave him the ball, he rushed for a first down. They ran the same exact play two more times and the other two times they ran it, he got tackled for a loss and no gain. That is an example of, oh we got him beat, we got him beat, and running the same exact play and a veteran defense with a veteran defensive coordinator identifying the play via pre-snap When you use the same exact alignment and you motion a player into the same exact spot and then run the same exact play, this is the NFL. There are too many professionals to not recognize those kind of tendencies. This is something I've bemoaned about the Bengals for a while. As an avid Joe Burrow supporter, I want to see the Bengals succeed Zach Taylor is extremely predictable in what he does as a play caller, and it is why that team has a very stunted ceiling for as talented as they are. I mean, I haven't even talked about the pass protection problems they had. I mean, Max Crosby of the Raiders, a genuine game wrecker. One of the five best, arguably one of, like, the three best edge rushers in all of football. Him, Miles Garrett. T.J. Watt, and, like, that's really the discussion for Edge and Nick Bosa and Nick Bosa. Those are the four guys. I think I would put Nick Bosa number one just because just that guy is fucking insane, and then the other three after that, after Nick, you can put in any order, whether it be Garrett, T.J. Watt, or Max Williams. Max Williams. Max Crosby, excuse me. All of them, very good pass rushers, and Crosby had his way in that game. He was getting... Even against Jonah Williams, the Bengals' left tackle, who is Cincinnati's best offensive lineman, Max Crosby was having his way. He was getting into the backfield, he was disrupting running plays, he was disrupting Burrow's uh, cadence in the passing game where Burrow would be trying to get into his drop, he already had Crosby bearing down on him. Uh, There were more than one occasion where the Bengals ran a running play to the opposite direction of where Max Crosby was, and Crosby just ran it down from behind the line of scrimmage like Lawrence Taylor used to do, and that's not something you see a lot of from the big conventional defensive end edge rushers in the NFL. For the most part, when you assume an edge rusher is a 15-16 sack edge rusher, 250, 260, 6'4, 6'5, you're assuming they're going after the quarterback. And if they get a little bit too upfield behind the quarterback or behind the running play, that's the end of the play for them. Guy like Crosby, the motor he has, he's running that play down from behind, dragging Joe Mixon down from behind. And I wasn't overly impressed with Cincinnati because there were opportunities there. The Raiders were sitting in a lot of man coverage looks because Cincinnati said we're not going to be able to play coverage this game. We're going to need to send heat at Burrow. And if Burrow burns us, he burns us. But if we sit in coverage and we only send four, he's going to eat us alive. So we're better off trying to send five. And if he eats us alive after sending five, we can live with that. Now, Burrow is unconventional in the sense that as a younger quarterback, second-year quarterback, quarterback, four career starts coming into this year he's very good against the blitz joe is one of the best young players i've ever seen at getting rid of the ball with pressure bearing down on him and not reacting to it he's one of the few guys who's come into the league in the last few years him josh allen stands in that out in that same regard lamar jackson and yes that's a credit to joe's mobility for somebody who's not as athletic as josh allen or lamar but a lot of it for Joe is pre-snap. Him looking around at the defense, seeing where people are lined up, and identifying, okay, that guy is probably coming at me. If he's coming at me, that means the space he's vacating is going to be open. Whatever receiver is there, the ball needs to get there. Even if I don't exactly see where the receiver is, and I don't exactly know where that, that pass rusher is coming from, I know there's going to be open space there, so the ball needs to go there. That is something Joe is tremendously gifted at, and it sounds weird to call it like a sixth sense, but it's that kind of treat where he doesn't have to see it, but he knows because he's worked on it that this is where my guy's going to be. If I get the ball there, even if I don't exactly see him, I know it'll be there, and it worked. There were a few instances against the Raiders where they ran this to perfection, and one of the things i saw a lot a lot of this weekend across all four game, five games excuse me yeah i i keep forgetting that the Steelers and chiefs are still playing because it's been so uncompetitive and i'm not really totally looking over at that screen and the chiefs just scored a touchdown again as i said that and looked over at the other screen but this weekend there were several teams featuring really strong pass rushes and anybody who's ever played madden can tell you this how do you stop somebody who's spamming a cheese blitz at you outside runs and screen passes those are the two easiest ways to stop somebody from blitzing you up the middle in the bengals game they did a few of these to tyler boyd out of the slot they did a few to joe mixon they had the rpos to jamar chase where he would catch the ball at the line of the scrimmage and it was just a counting game One receiver in the slot, Jamar Chase, two defensive backs, okay, throw the ball over there, Jamar Chase makes the one guy miss, the receiver in the slot makes his block, and Jamar Chase can make the guy miss, he's off to the races. That's how simple it is for some of these RPO situations, and it's something I wanted to see more of from one of the other games we're going to talk about, the Eagles and the Buccaneers. When the Bengals' offense was clicking in the first half, they were making it a point of emphasis to get the ball to Jamar Chase because... They had a favorable matchup. And if you're going to lose in a playoff game, you want the ball in the hands of your best player as often as possible. And other than Burrow, Cincinnati's best player was Jamar Chase. I cannot continue talking about this game without talking about the Cincinnati touchdown right before the half. I'll be honest with you. The referees got it wrong. I am somebody who bet the Raiders to win. I thought the Bengals would win the game. I thought the Raiders would cover. Excuse me, I should have been more clear in my assessment of what I did before the weekend. But that is not supposed to be a touchdown. That play right before the half where Gerber was going out of bounds. They have the whistle. Everybody has read the officiating reports, everybody knows the networks have talked about it for the last two days. This will be the tuck rule for a new generation of Raider fans. That's just the way football works unfortunate shit happens because we have people in their 50s and 60s officiating football games played by guys in their 20s who are moving painfully fast in a way that these guys cannot process i'll be honest at full speed i thought burrow was out of bounds i thought he might have been past the line of scrimmage clearly under review under replay i should say he did not step out of bounds the whistle's blown while the ball's in the air the Raider defensive back that is closest to the receiver probably isn't with him even if the whistle doesn't blow. So I will say I will say to poke a hole in that complaint that there's nobody within five yards of that receiver when he catches the ball. So even if the whistle doesn't blow while well, the ball is three-quarters of the way to the target, somebody's probably not breaking up that pass either way. But Raider fans, I do understand the gray. Uh, as somebody who bet on the Raiders in a game that was decided by a touchdown, I, I definitely empathize with that pain. The officiating was very bad in this game. Uh, Jerome Boger's, Jerome Boger is not a very good official. The NFL has too many of these guys who skirt by just because there aren't enough guys to pick from to make up these crews. I know they try and get the best of the best and they mesh crews together. This was probably the worst crew of the weekend. The Dallas-San Francisco crew tried their absolute best to be worse, but I think because the outcome of the game was almost solely decided by the officials because there were so many penalties in this game, uh, I just it was uncomfortable at points because... The Raiders were getting back into that game. The Bengals were not being aggressive on offense. They were very content to punt, play defense, try and just keep the Raiders out of the end zone, which was a real problem. The Raiders did not score when they got opportunities in the red zone. This game ended on a Derek Carr red zone interception. He tried throwing a ball to a double-covered Zay Jones, two yards short of the goal line. Um... I was reading an athletic story uh, this morning that Vic Tarfer, who is one of the Raider beat reporters, they have two for some reason. The Raiders do have a dedicated fan base, so I guess it makes sense to have two beat reporters covering that team. And he wrote that that it is the perfect encapsulation of this season for the Raiders that with the season on the line, they ran a curl route short of the end zone in a goal-to-go situation with a running clock on fourth and goal. That is the perfect encapsulation of just the small mistakes. You shoot yourself in the foot one too many times. The Raiders had a disgusting amount of penalties. So did the Bengals, to be fair. But that was a very vulnerable game for the Raiders. And there's a lot of, I don't want to say turmoil, because that's not fair to the parties involved in Las Vegas. But I'll say conversation about that team and the direction they're going to go in after this season. Whether they keep Pit Boss Rich, Derek Carr, Mayock stays as GM. There's a lot of discussion about that team. It's not particularly fair because of all the bullshit they've endured, but that's just the way football media works. And for Cincinnati... Good for you for winning your first playoff game in 31 years. That's good stuff. I'm happy for Joe. I'm have i one of the staunchest advocators for Joe Burrow. I'm happy for Jamar Chase. It's unfortunate that Zach Taylor is going to get to keep that job a lot longer than he probably should because Joe Burrow is so good. But that's big picture direction of the franchise type stuff. Moving along. We got to talk about the ass kicking the Buffalo Bills laid on the Patriots. 47 17 is an absurd score for the NFL. That is very much a college football score. That's very much the kind of score you'll see when Ohio State plays like Indiana. There are very few times in my life I can recall such a thorough ass kicking at this level at the nfl level i mean the the obvious one is the time the uh patriots scored 59 in an nfl game in 2010 i believe was the year they scored 59 in a game something like that up against arizona in the snow so i believe that that sounds vaguely correct if my memory is serving me right but just a thorough ass kicking i mean Buffalo did not punt, they did not kick a field goal, and they did not turn the ball over. That is the first time that has ever happened in NFL history. And this, of course, happened in a playoff game. I read this game wrong. Starting from the jump, I can say I read this game wrong. My assumption was that New England would be able to muck it up, slow the game down, control the ball for long portions of the game and turn this into a rock fight, more or less. And I love using the term rock fight. It's how I describe the ugly games that hang around because neither team can cause much separation. Buffalo ass kicked them. They bullied New England in the line of scrimmage and on the perimeter in a way that is very uncharacteristic of a Bill Belichick coached team. And it's because the Patriots traditionally are so big They are so physical, and they are so disciplined that it's hard to run outside the tackles, run between the tackles, get plays out to the perimeter. And Buffalo had their way. They got Devin Singletary going between the tackles, and Josh Allen played like one of the four or five best players in the entire league on Saturday night against New England. He was as gifted a runner with the ball as you could possibly ask for a quarterback, short of Lamar Jackson, and he was throwing frozen ropes like he was Roberto Clemente playing right field, up the seam, over guys, in the double coverage, hitting people in the chest, and you know that shit had to hurt as cold as it was in Buffalo for some of those receivers, whether it was Dawson Knox or Cole Beasley or Isaiah McKenzie or Gabe Davis or Stephon Diggs trying to catch that ball as hard as he was throwing it and those guys played great what they did with isaiah mckenzie using him as a gadget guy was a great way to unlock the run game and this has been a problem for buffalo over the last two years it was their problem last year in the playoffs they just didn't have the threat of running the ball in the red zone and I'm not saying you need to carry the ball 20 or 30 times to be successful in today's league because we know that's not true. But you need to have the threat of running the ball, at least in the red zone, so the other team has to respect that enough to open up your passing attempts. And Buffalo found a way to run the ball enough with Isaiah McKenzie that it opened up opportunities for Devin Singletary. And then they just got to play bully ball. They got to the second level on rushing attempts a lot. Their offensive linemen were getting push upfield. Then Josh Allen was able to uncork some deep shots because the other team was respecting the run. And, God, he was just electric. I mean, there haven't been that many quarterback performances on that tier in this league ever. I, I just, like I said at the start of this segment, I mean, it has never happened before. Where a team scored a touchdown every single possession without punting a turnover or a field goal that just has never happened before and that just goes to show you how good josh allen was and if the bills are going to play like that i mean they're very much capable of hanging with kansas city or tennessee and i i came into this weekend with a slight hint of skepticism because i ate the garbage on the bills they were 0-6 in one-score games, and one-score games are the biggest inflection, swing, pendulum, whatever word you want to use to describe it, of NFL records. If you flip the one, the records in one-score games, teams are often significantly better or worse, depending on a little bit of luck. And a lot of it, the NFL, comes down to just for fortuitousness you get a good bounce of the ball you get an interception a fumble a kick return whatever you want to say as your swing of momentum but the bills were 0 and 6 in one score games and 10 and 0 in two score games it, that goes to show you just how good this team can be with a little bit of luck and they didn't need any luck on saturday they just said we're better than you we dare you to beat us and new England. Has legitimate personnel problems. Not scheme. Nobody could get open for them at all. I like Jacoby Myers. I like Kendrick Bourne. I didn't mind Nelson Aguilar for the Raiders last year. I thought, okay, this kind of makes sense. Hunter Henry, same deal. But nobody could get open for the Patriots, and that was a real problem. I mean, once you get to the playoffs and you get into this environment of only playing good teams... You're not going to be able to take advantage of scheme as much. Yes, good scheme does matter. You can take it you can win on scheme. But when you get to hat on hat, eventually the Johnny and Joe's beat the X's and O's, to quote that old tired cliche that football people love to use. That was the case here. Buffalo thoroughly outclassed New England. The Patriots did not have a chance in this game. More or less from the jump. I mean, you saw it the first time New England had the ball. They went run, run, pass, incomplete, punt. And Buffalo came down and scored again, and it was 14-0 already. That, right there, you realize, oh, well, Mac Jones is the coldest he has ever been in his entire life in this environment. In minus, like, three wind chills somewhere in that ballpark. We can't establish the run because... The other team doesn't respect our ability to pass. They're going to dare us to pass. We're going to load up the box, dare us to pass. Mac's not making the throws. And I'll be fair, Mac was not the reason the Patriots lost. He wasn't good, but he wasn't the reason they lost. I mean, the Micah Hyde interception, the first t- time New England really got a drive going. That's just a great defensive play. I I mean, he could have led his receiver a little bit deeper into the end zone. And if that's a slightly got a little bit more push, that's like five yards into the end zone instead of right at the goal line. That's probably a touchdown instead of a Micah Hyde interception. But after that pick and the bills fans kind of got a little bit of confidence and they started to kind of realize, Hey, we can beat these guys. Fuck these guys. That's when New England got into trouble and, It is so hard to pass your way out of trouble with a young quarterback when they aren't accustomed to it. And a guy like Mac, who's been protected by his scheme all year, has not had to come back from that kind of deficit. And it's hard. When you're not used to doing something, it is a challenge to ask someone to do it. And that's not an indictment on Mac Jones as an NFL quarterback. He will get better over time. As a rookie, you cannot complain with what you got out of him. He was the quarter the best rookie quarterback of any playoff team. I mean, that's not really saying much, but he was better. His team played better with him than the Jets did with Zach, than the 49ers did with Trey Lance. Jacksonville did with Trevor Lawrence. I that's not saying much, but the Patriots were able to be successful. They were smoke, able to smoke in mirrors their way into the playoffs. They had an outside chance at winning the division. That's a good start for a rookie quarterback. That's all I'm saying about Mac. There isn't room for growth. He probably will get better. I don't think Josh McDaniels gets a head coaching job. I don't think any NFL team is dumb enough to do that. Don't prove me wrong, Shad Khan and Jacksonville. Please, please, please. But the talent gap was very clear, arguably the most of any in this weekend, and I know I'm saying that with the Chiefs and Steelers still being played right now, but New England was very slow. They just did not have anybody who was able to make plays on the ball on defense in a way that could impact the game. I know J.C. Jackson had a lot of interceptions, I believe 7 or 8 this year. That's a very gaudy number in today's league, usually when a quarterback gets that high and the interception total team stops throwing at them, but... John Bentley is not a fast guy, even when he's in there. He left the game kind of early with an injury. Dante Hightower, not particularly fast. Neither of the safeties, whether it be Adrian Phillips, whatever, not particularly fast. Their defensive backs, they ain't great tacklers. At some point, when you get your masculinity challenged in the way the Patriots did, and the Bills were able to do whatever they wanted on offense, Even if you're not actively giving up as a defense, you stop running after the ball carrier as hard down three possessions like the Patriots were a majority of this game. The 17 points is a generous reflection of what New England did on offense. A lot of that came after the game was already well over. I mean, Buffalo front ran as easy as possible. And the thing about these young quarterbacks, and we're going to talk about it in a second with the Philadelphia-Tampa game, When they get behind the sticks, when they get into second and third and long, and they have to throw the ball, and the game speeds up for them, that is where you can tell who is actually good and who isn't. Buffalo, up two scores. They know the Patriots need to throw. They had Mac Jones panicking. If his first read wasn't open, he was jumpy. He was trying to get away from the pass rush, and the pass rush was just bearing down way too fast on him. That is a young quarterback's problem. It's what makes Joe Burrow's ability to absorb pressure so special, especially behind as bad an offensive line as Cincinnati has. And New England's offensive line is okay. It's not amazing, but it's not as bad as Cincinnati. I want to say New England will learn from this. They'll clean up their cap. They will get rid of some of these bad contracts. They will continue to tool the roster for Mac, but They need speed. They need a good number one X receiver, boundary receiver. Bill is not very good at drafting those. I don't know where New England goes from here. Buffalo very much could win the AFC. It'll probably be them or Kansas City. And we'll keep on moving along here. And we get to Philadelphia and Tampa. The Buccaneers winning 31-15, and that is an extremely generous final score based on how the Eagles played in this game. To say the Eagles did not belong in that game is being generous to Philadelphia. Uh... I don't know how else to describe it. That was a boat race. Just flat out, Philadelphia could not move the ball on offense in any regard. Everything I just said about Mac Jones and getting your young quarterback into obvious passing situations where the game gets faster, that times like 100 because for as good as Philadelphia's offensive line was, it could not hold up against that Tampa pass rush because they knew Hurts had to drop back a lot when you are down three scores the entirety of the game four scores as the game progressed uh and philly didn't have anyone getting open Uh, okay that's not true i shouldn't say that i i broke it down into bullet points here where is it where is it okay here it is okay i the subheading i wrote was philadelphia can't move the ball number one jalen hurts cannot see the field well so Because he's got the pass rush bearing down on him so often, he's only looking at his first read. And after his first read isn't there, he's turtling to protect the ball and not fumble. He's bailing out of the pocket, getting tackled for a loss. Or on a few at times, he was able to extend the play, roll out, and get some throws down the field in a way that was productive. But for the most part, he didn't have a full view of the field. He wasn't comfortable in the pocket. That's the foundation of this. Because he didn't do that, it's very fair to say the game was too fast for him. Because he couldn't get to his second read, because of how bad his pass pro was holding up, because it was an obvious passing situation, he wasn't seeing the field very well. He had Devontae Smith open a lot, but because he couldn't get off his first read, who for some reason a lot of this game was Quez Watkins, who had way too many targets for somebody who's a number three receiver on a team, and... I get it. This is the old Madden trope of if it's your number three receiver, he's matched up on the other team's number three corner, and the number three corner is less talented than the number one corner. But Devontae Smith was open a lot and just didn't get emphasized in a way that you want your best player to be in a way that you saw other teams do, whether it be Cincinnati with Jamar Chase in the first half or what Buffalo was doing with Stephon Diggs at key points in that game to try and keep drives moving. And it's not like Tampa Bay was doubling Devontae Smith. For the most part, they were sending five and playing man, and Jalen Hurts just could not absorb that pressure in a productive way and find open receivers. It's frustrating to watch when you see somebody like Hurts, who you know has talent, get jumpy and then once they're jumpy in the pocket that's when it starts to fall apart when you're jumpy your mechanics aren't right so you're less accurate when you're less accurate you're turning the ball over you're missing guys who are open and then your offense just becomes non-existent you can't move the ball you're an ineffective offense there was more than one point where I thought they should have put Gardner Minshew in just to see what he could do because Hertz was so rattled and that's a confidence thing. You know Jalen Hurts has talent, you know he can move the ball in the ideal situation, but in a game like that on Sunday afternoon where you know where he's fucked more or less, there's no other way to put it. What's the problem with putting in your backup just to see if he can do anything because of how bad it's gone? I I wanna say that's just a rookie quarterback. I mean, not really, Jalen Hurts started eight games last year. 12 games last year so he started majority of the eagle games last year first nfl playoff start nick Sirianni's first playoff game as an nfl head coach i really didn't see a way in which tampa bay lost this game i said i picked tampa bay to cover the number eight and a half was kind of eight and a half yeah eight and a half was a big number i thought there wasn't really going to be a way for philadelphia to keep up which is the problem Philadelphia is very good when they're able to dictate the game. I mean, they didn't have a winning record against an over 500 team. They had two swing games against teams that ended up being 500, which they both lost. Excuse me, they both, yeah, they both, they lost both of those games, but they weren't a particularly good team. They were best of the bad teams. This was a transitional year, first year coach. They wanted to see what they had in Jalen Hurts. This was a good year for the Eagles franchise in terms of the direction of the team because you got a better idea of where everything stands. You have three first-round picks. You will be able to improve this roster. You can decide to go get a Russell Wilson, a Deshaun Watson. You can draft somebody, or you can roll it over with Jalen Hurts to next year and say, we want to go at a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young down the road. Good organizational direction. As for Tampa they got to make sure Tristan Wirf and Ryan Jensen, the two offensive linemen who got hurt in that game, are okay. Uh, Tristan wirf has been an all-pro as a second-year player is incredible. He has yet to miss a start coming into this game. One of the best tackles in all of football. Jensen is an interior offensive lineman for Tampa. You need those guys to be okay. You probably can survive if you're missing one of them. But as the playoffs go along here gonna be kind of tough sledding. you're you're looking at playing the winner of Arizona and the Rams. The Rams beat Tampa in week two of the season. I want to say I feel like Tampa Tampa knows what it takes to win. They came out. they were great on offense. They were slow to start. Brady missed a few wide open guys. Tyler Johnson had a f- couple of pretty bad drops. Uh, Cyril Grayson, the hero of the jet game wasn't active. Scotty Miller had one touch. They had O.J. Howard in there. They had Cameron Brait. Mike Evans had a terrific game. They got Keyshawn Vaughn going in the running game. They had Gio Bernard back for the first time in a couple of weeks, which was good to have for their passing game. We all know how much Brady loves his passing down backs, whether it's James, White, James White, Kevin Falk, whoever he had in New England. What they did with Leonard Fournette last year in the playoffs, where they got him going as a receiving back, even though that's not traditionally what you would think of Leonard Fournette as. Tampa's right there. I do think the NFC is a little bit more wide open than the AFC, because the AFC really, it's it's Kansas City or Buffalo. I don't see a world in which Tennessee or the bengals can make a run against one of those two teams but that's how we play the games i'm not always right i i was wrong on all of the afc games in terms of gambling sad but actually i can't say that yet pittsburgh still has a chance they could still cover 14 and a half as stupid as that sounds continuing along here san francisco dallas entertaining game not a good game though it's possible for those things to be the same uh so many penalties on both sides. This is very much a similar case to the Las Vegas and Cincinnati game where neither of these teams particularly deserved to win, but one team got to have more points when the clock expired. Dallas really did not look good at any point in this game. They had a little bit of a run in the second half where they got back into it, got it to a one square game. They started playing a little bit better on defense. They started to be able to move the ball a little bit better on offense, but the mistakes are the the mental mistakes at this point in the season are just inexcusable those are preparation those are coaching mistakes at some point mike mccarthy needs to be held accountable for having the most penalized team in the league this year the cowboys have one of the best rosters in all of football they did not play like it today the inefficiency on offense was a problem and yes I know Dak is still working back from that debilitating leg injury from last year. His mechanics have not been great this year. As somebody who is very high on Dak, who thinks he's one of the six or seven best quarterbacks in the entire league, who's bet on him to win MVP each of the last two seasons, I want to see more from him. I know it's in there. His mechanics were very bad today. A lot of throwing off of one foot, not stepping into your throws, only throwing with your upper body. That's how you turn into 2020 Cam Newton. Unless you are Aaron Rodgers, you need to be using your lower body in your throws. And Josh Allen. I'll give Josh Allen the benefit of the doubt. Those are the only two guys who are allowed to throw without using their lower body. Dak, your arm strength is fine. You cannot be throwing across your body. You cannot be throwing off of one foot. You cannot be throwing flat footed. You need to step into your throws. You need to be aiming, and you need to be hitting guys. You had way too many guys getting open in this game that you were not hitting, and you lost. San Francisco played okay. I will not say they played well, because they let Dallas back into that game. The final score, being 23-17, is a reasonable reflection of what happened in that game. San Francisco got out to the lead early. They played pretty well in the first half. They ran the ball with some regularity. They didn't really get George Kittle involved, like, at all. I understand they were using him a lot in the run game, but get the ball in the hands of your best players. They did a good job of that with Debo. I can't say they didn't. Debo is San Francisco's best offensive player. It's only taken three-ish years for Kyle Shanahan to realize that, but they made it a point of emphasis. Elijah Mitchell had a really nice game. I, I liked what I saw out of Elijah Mitchell. Really good game out of the backfield being able to make guys miss in, at the line of scrimmage, at the point of contact, and getting secondary runs, being able to absorb contact, drag guys with them on his back. But, Jesus Christ, that game did not need to be as difficult as it was for the 49ers. I mean, they were playing with a lead the entire first half, 10 nothing, 13 nothing. I still don't know why Kyle Shanahan opted to kick a field goal there to go from... 10 nothing to 13 nothing when it was fourth and one from the dallas 19 if you can't get one yard in a playoff game against a team that's kind of reeling on their heels i just don't know and i am one of these staunchest kyle shanahan defenders on the internet i think he is one of the best coaches in the entire nfl i wish he was the coach of the giants he's got a good eye for personnel he's got a strong He's very good at scripting offenses, so your first 15 or 20 plays, you know, are always going to be money. I want to see him get the killer instinct that good coaches get, especially good offensive coaches get. They needed to have a fourth and one money play that was unstoppable in that game. They had more than one opportunity where all they needed was one play. In a fourth and short situation. And they could not make it happen. The one at the end of the game. They said we'll take the intentional delay game. We'll punt. They took another penalty. They punted again. Dallas had a chance to come back into that game. And then the other one. The fourth and one from the 19 in the first quarter. There is no tactical difference in being up. 13 nothing versus 10-0. nothing. is a two score game. No matter what, you would have been better off going for that one yard, scoring a touchdown, and getting it to 16-0. You get it to 16 or 17-0, depending on the extra point, if you want to go for two, whatever, you are in a lot more advantageous situation. And only settling for the field goal there gave Dallas momentum, let Dallas get back into that game in a way they would not have been able to if san francisco had come down and scored a touchdown and there's no indication they wouldn't have been able to get that one yard because san francisco was able to run the ball at will more or less down the stretch in that game aside from a couple plays that michael parsons who's one of the best linebackers in the league was able to blow up in the backfield san francisco was pretty effective running the ball i the penalties on both sides were a bit overzealous i would say uh The officials really tried to make this game about themselves. I haven't even talked about the last play of the game. That's clear-cut coaching malfeasance. Running a quarterback draw with no timeouts and 14 seconds left. What are you doing? I get it. You practice that. You think you can get the spike off so you'll have one more play and have one chance at the end zone you need to account for officiating error it is very simple i hate when rich eisen says it and the final score is 42 21 pittsburgh does not cover so zero and three on the afc games but two and on the nfc games so we'll see i did pick uh i picked the cardinals to cover minus four i think i, I gotta go back and listen but yeah going forward I'm skeptical of San Francisco's ability to survive without Fred Warner and Nick Bosa. Hopefully Nick Bosa is okay. He left with a head injury, pretty bad concussion. That's what I would assume if they're saying head injury. They just don't want to call it a concussion. He got rolled up on and then he his head collided with his own mat, interior defensive lineman off their leg. And then Fred Warner, uh, non-contact. CBS had an ankle injury, which is better than a knee injury. Hopefully, it's just a slight sprain. Without Fred Warner and Nick Bosa, the 49ers defense is meat. Uh, That is not a great defensive unit by any stretch. They largely survive on the pass rush of their front four, of Nick Bosa, of Eric Armstead. Without Without him without fred warner that defense is food that that secondary is bad that secondary is actively bad it's why it was so frustrating to see dak miss so many open opportunities in that game as a passer because there were so many guys wide open at some point dallas needs to figure out this head coaching thing um they gave jason garrett way too long i don't know if Jerry is going to fire Mike McCarthy after two seasons, I definitely would. Um, this is a very talented roster that has underperformed two years in a row. Tyron Smith is getting old. Zach Martin is getting old. Lyle Collins will soon be the only good offensive lineman in this group. You've paid Dak. You've given Amari Cooper a big extension. You've got Micah Parsons. You've got uh. You've got Trayvon Diggs. You've got Demarcus Lawrence. You've got Randy Gregory. There are enough pieces on that Cowboys team for this team to be amongst the best in the NFC. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I went into my one gambling group chat and said, what is the reason Dallas can't win the Super Bowl? And every single person said Mike McCarthy. McCarthy had Aaron Rodgers, who... Most of the football consensus agrees is the best quarterback to ever play the position in terms of talent and won a single Super Bowl, lost numerous playoff games on game management and clock management and understanding what his team was good at at important points and not being able to do it. There was a rumor out there that somebody from NFL Network reported that if this game didn't go well, that the Cowboys would fire Mike McCarthy to promote Kellen Moore to make sure Kellen Moore didn't get hired by another team. I don't think Kellen Moore has that little finger instinct in him to be navigating behind the scenes like that to make something like that happen. Um San Francisco is a weird team. Uh I am a Kyle defender till the end, to my own detriment, the credibility of my opinion. I think he understands what you need to be doing to be successful at this level. I also think he does occasionally get a little too cute. I think he gets a little bit too into his own bag and trying to make something play something something happen that he's not capable of doing and you see it you see it in the Jimmy G interception that let Dallas get another chance towards the end of that that throw shouldn't happen jimmy should take the sack or throw it away trying to throw that ball back into the field is pure hubris that is the baker mayfield i got this says only baker mayfield and Jimmy is liable to do that so fucking often. And I know I keep doubting Jimmy G and the 49ers keep winning. This is his last run as 49ers quarterback. Let's all be clear here. They need that $25 million in-, in cap space for other places on that roster. Trey Lance is going to be the starter of that team next year. Barring, I don't know. If San Francisco wins the Super Bowl, maybe I could see them keeping Jimmy G, but... That is very much a product of the parts, Jimmy G. Uh, Debo is tremendous. Trent Williams is great. Alex Mack had a pretty good game, interior offensive line for San Francisco. They held up. Uh, Micah Parsons is amazing. One of the best defensive players in the league already as a rookie, and that's saying something. 13 sacks as a rookie is a lot, and They still don't know exactly where to play him, which just speaks volumes about how physically gifted he is. I said San Francisco would probably win this game because I trusted Kyle more than I trusted McCarthy, but both of them deserve skepticism. San Francisco is giving Green Bay a hard time with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle for some reason, even though Green Bay typically has had more talent, which is kind of weird. I'm excited for that game. That is probably my favorite game of the divisional round at least on paper looking forward. But very briefly, I do have to talk about the Steelers and Chiefs game. Uh bad, uh unentertaining, uncompetitive, whatever words you want to use to describe it. That Steelers defense deserved a lot better than what that front office gave them for an offense this year. The offensive line was very piecemeal and their entire game plan was oriented around getting Najee Harris as many touches as possible, which I get it, Najee Harris, very good at Alabama, very talented player, somebody you can build as the focal point of an offense because of his capabilities as a receiver, but there was never any real attempt to try and find anything resembling a secondary threat on that offense, and it's frustrating to watch at from a neutral party's perspective because it's the limitations of the quarterback. When you look at Big Ben's heat map of his targets and how infrequently he would take a shot, and yes, that is just physical limitations, his inability to take a deep shot, but if your quarterback is incapable of throwing more than 15 yards down the field, more than like two or three times a game, you probably shouldn't be starting him, and I understand this is a flawed hole in the football man's logic that if we can win eight games with a bad quarterback and get to the playoffs, we'll take our chances. That was always going to be the best case scenario for the Steelers this year was winning somewhere between eight and 10 games. If the lay of the land was correct around you, you can make the playoffs. but it is so difficult to win in today's league as a defense first team the league the sport is designed for the offense to have the advantage and it is why it's so flawed to try and win with the defense first team so as a foundation point for talking about this game we have to start there that building around the corpse of ben roethlisberger and that defense was always a flawed idea from the outset i mean It's very rare that Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are, like, openly complaining about how poorly somebody is playing in the game. At one point in that game, Al Michaels said, Big Ben is gonna go to the farm or wherever after this. Like, old yeller behind the woodshed type shit. The Steelers have delayed the inevitable for quite a while They've drafted some backup quarterbacks. None of them have been good. They brought in Dwayne Haskins, who Mike Tomlin is apparently pretty high on. Until I see it, I won't believe it. It seems almost impossible that the Steelers did not win another Super Bowl after the one against the Cardinals with all the talent they've had go through that team on both offense and defense. T.J. Watt is a remarkably talented player. Cam Hayward is one of the best interior defensive linemen in the sport. Minka Fitzpatrick has always been good going back to his time in Miami. But Pittsburgh wasted a really good team. And I haven't even talked about Kansas City yet. This was like Kansas City's like B-plus effort. They weren't even like that good on offense until late in the second quarter. That first quarter was pretty dull. Andy Reid, for the love of God, stop being cute. You have maybe the best thrower of a football in the history of footballs as your quarterback. We don't need wildcat plays with a wide receiver and a running back. Let Patrick Mahomes throw it 50 times. If you lose, I can live with that. I cannot lose with you handing off to Darrell Williams. Jerick McKinnon was a pleasant surprise in this game. He was pretty good out of the backfield as a receiver and a runner. Let's stop being cute, Andy Reid. I know you like to get out to these big leads and then just ice the game away in the second half, being ugly, not using any of your cool plays because you have a lead, why would you burn something cool unless it's a crucial situation? That middle four, that middle four between the start, uh, the end of the first half, end of the second half is as crucial a swing as you can have in the NFL, and Kansas City did it to... A T, They get the ball back they have that Travis Kelsey big play score a touchdown, they get the ball back they come down, they score again, and that's it that is one of the few times in a football game you have the opportunity to possess the ball two times in a row and you don't have to generate a turnover that's the thing about that middle eight, and it's why I will never ever understand teams who elect to receive when they win the coin toss. When you defer You can frame your entire second quarter of the game around, all right, we need to get the ball, end of the quarter, that way we can have two possessions consecutively, and we need to score both of those times. Even if it's only a field goal and a touchdown, if we can score 10 points without the other team possessing the ball, that is a crucial swing of the game. And it's something I want to see teams make more of a point of emphasis of. I mean, granted, I'm a Giant fan, and as a Giant fan who had his team outscored 0-90-something to in the final two minutes of the first half this season, I have no room to critique other people's teams. But I don't understand why this is so complicated. As somebody who's been playing Madden, my entire conscious memory as a sentient being on this planet, I have always deferred, and always tried to get the ball so I can have two possessions in a row. You get the two possessions in a row, you score at least 10 points, and the whole game is different then. If you're up two scores, you can tee off. You can tell your pass rushers, pin your ears back, don't respect the run, go get the quarterback, and you get them into those obvious passing situations. And when you're playing somebody like Big Ben who's incapable of throwing more than 15 yards down the field they're cooked there is no threat of that offense making up that kind of deficit because they are incapable they do not have plays in the playbook to make up that kind of deficit because they have no design big plays all of their design big plays are going to be screened underneath things that have to be taken after the catch these are easy fundamental these are principles these aren't even schematic things or a specific plays that somebody's drawing up. These are just ideas that somebody who has a fundamental understanding of game management, of football, can comprehend. I do not have a mastery understanding of schematics and principle, and um, schematics and drawing up plays. I understand that if you are down two possessions, you need to be throwing the ball more than running the ball. If you need to be throwing the ball more often, okay, as a defense We can send rushers. We can emphasize our front four on getting home, not worrying about the run as much. When you do that, you're going to get sacks. You're going to force the quarterback into mistakes. Now, these are such simple ideas that I want to see emphasized more from a broadcasting and a sports media standpoint because these are such simple concepts that just get glossed over for nonsense. Just, you know... When the Cowboys run the ball more than 20 times in a game, they're 9-4 and eight, nine and nine this year. That doesn't help me understand the game. They're running the ball because they are winning. They are not winning because they are running the ball. These are different concepts, and they conti- continually get butchered on broadcast. They make the public stupider. Excuse me. I got to go English nerd. More stupid. Not stupider. I shouldn't say stupider. Come on. I know better than that. Okay, real quick. Rams-Cardinals, like I said on Friday, I expect the Cardinals to win this game. The Rams have not been themselves without DeAndre Hopkins. There will be a big hubbub about J.J. Watt playing in this game, which is crazy considering he tore his peck off the bone a couple months ago, but it's really, really straightforward for me. As long as Matt Stafford does not totally self-immolate, I think the Rams win this game fairly easily. I don't see if Cliff Kingsbury is a particularly good coach. Sean McVay has his flaws. He's like Kyle. He can occasionally get a little too cute with it. He can get outsmarted. He can try and be the smartest person in the room. And that leads him to make mistakes from a game management perspective. I I just don't see a world in which Rondell Moore, AJ Green, and Zach Ertz win this game for Arizona. Now... There's a world in which Kyler Murray goes insane. He has like 100-something rushing yards, 300-something passing yards, five total touchdowns, and Arizona wins this game. I just don't see... I don't think that's a particularly likely outcome, is the way I will describe it. Arizona wins this game if everything goes right for them. I think more things have to go right for Arizona to win this game instead of the Rams and that's why I'm going to take the Rams I think the Rams cover minus four I'm excited to watch this I think the whole putting this game on Monday night is very dumb and very much a creature of the NFL trying to own more of the schedule but it's fine another Manning cast is a good excuse any excuse to have more Peyton and Eli is fine with me I hope everybody enjoyed the wild card weekend I hope everybody who has off for Martin Luther King Day is Enjoying the day off, reflecting a little bit on what Martin Luther King Day means, not just enjoying the day off, but you know, not everybody is one of those types of people, but you know, enjoy your day off, think about it a little bit, reflect on it a little bit, enjoy the Monday night game, we'll talk about the Monday night game, some bigger picture NFL things on Tuesday. And we'll see what the rest of the week's looking like. Try and get a guest or two in here. Lighten up the discussion. I don't usually go this long anymore when it's just me, but did have to talk about five games. So, I will see you guys tomorrow.